an e-commerce customer is either an Amazon customer or they're going to shop from my website. I need to understand what's important to them. Amazon's the convenience of shipping. I can get it prime next day or even sometimes the same day. My website, I can't do that and I'm not going to try to. So what I'm going to do on the Chemical Guys website is something that Amazon can't. Brands want to be everywhere, all the time, all at once, but very few do it well. Chemical Guys has cracked the code on what it means to truly be omnichannel. And while doing this, they also uncovered some of the secrets of Amazon. They explored franchise models, and they grew a content platform across multiple channels. John Mansfield, the Chief Revenue Officer at Chemical Guys, takes us through all that and more on today's episode. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org, and this is Up Next in Commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. John, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. Stephanie, thank you so much for having me. So you started your life basically in retail. Your first job was in, I think it was the first retail location for Oakley. And I want to start there of, you know, where did the interest come from? Because now you have a long track record, but I like to hear about the beginnings to give a little context. Yeah, absolutely. So weird how it came about. So I was, um, I was in high school. Um, it was, I started working for Oakley in junior year. And I mean, the way it came about was kind of fortuitous or, you know, if they say, you know, you close a door or window opens or whatever that is. I actually was uh, on the speech and debate team and I got kicked off or I wasn't, I wasn't asked not to come back for my junior year. And so I was kind of left with, well, what do I, what am I going to do? And I started looking in the want ads um, again, back when people actually looked in the newspaper for a job and there was this part-time sales job. It didn't even say Oakley, didn't, it just, it was a staffing company. And I, I reached out to them. I said, yeah, Hey, great. I think they were, the factor was they were one of the first ones that called me back and said, yeah, we'd love to have you come in, come in on this date, this time, this place. And again, I didn't know it was Oakley. And I put on a suit and tie and everything else, which ended up being a very funny story that lasted the rest of my career at Oakley, considering most of the time you're walking around in shorts and flip-flops in the building. But you know, drove to Foothill Ranch, still had no idea what this was. And if you've ever seen Oakley or, or if not, um, it's a very impressive building. And the way that the founder designed it because real design was really important to him. And his, the president that he brought into the company was actually an architect. So like it was all very well planned out. And so you kind of drive up this hill and you, you, you don't see what you're coming to until the very last minute where you turn this corner after driving up this hill. And there's this, this crazy bunker looking building with a, a real live, like actual, not live, but an actual real like torpedo out in kind of the center where oh. you park your cars. And you're just like, 
Okay. I, you just don't, you don't know how to respond to it. So, I mean, I came in, I, I did the interview. Thankfully, they offered me the opportunity. And I think the great thing about it, and again, if, if you call it fate or timing or whatever else, it was the right time. And it was something that I've become extremely thankful for because what Oakley ingrained in me over the years and, and something that I'm still very passionate about to this day, and it's the reason I'm sitting where I am at Chemical Guys, is I fell in love, really fell in love with being a part of a brand. And whether that was, you know, obviously Oakley kind of put that, I mean, we're, where you can truly identify with the product you're selling or the people or the culture, and you can make it a part of your life. And it might get a little bit scary because sometimes the two end up blurring where your life ends and your work begins. But mm-hmm. I think brands have that unique ability in the way that other businesses might not. And so as my career has progressed, I've always, that's what I've looked for is to be a part of a brand I can, I can be really passionate about. So you were there for 14 years, right? Yeah, a little over 14 years. I'm sure you saw a very large evolution from when you started to then when you left. What were some of the maybe like key moments or lessons you learned and realized like, oh, this is where I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay in, you know, retail and, you know, the world of commerce. I think so. If you're somebody that enjoys being around people, that's kind of the first thing, right? Which is there are some jobs. I mean, retail by nature is a people oriented job. Like you have to be around people all day long. You have to be friendly. Like it, it has to be something you want to do. And so on the retail side, when you're actually in the store as a salesperson um, or a sales associate or, or brand ambassador, and you can, by interacting with a customer, see that same kind of fire or passion that you have for your product ignite in, in them, like that's kind of an addictive feeling. And so on the retail side, yes, there's, there's great because you're making a sale or whatever else. But when you see the customer connect, you guys are able to connect together over this same passion, which they may have walked in with or, or might not have, that's it's a really unique experience. And then as, as my career progressed, I went from being the sales associate to going out and teaching and training and interacting with other retail associates, not just at Oakley stores, but at Dick's Sporting Goods or at Sunglass Hut. And it's that same kind of spark and, and passion where, you, again, you're, you are getting someone else or you guys are sharing this connection that, of, of something that you're both passionate about. It's just, I think that, that is, that's really special. Yeah. So what led you to then join Chemical Guys? I know you had a couple of spaces in between that you jumped to, but to fast forward to where you're at today, I mean, what led you to wanting to uh, join Chemical Guys? So it's, it's exa- I think that's actually a great question. It flows very well with what we were just kind of talking about, which is I came into the offices here to do my interview, my first in-person interview, and it was with the two founders of the company. And in that same way that when you're on the retail sales floor or the trainings that I had done, like it just, there was an, kind of an instant connection and where, you know, again, when I, when I was approached, it's like, oh, car care. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. But when I came here and I got to talk to Paul and I got to talk to Dave and I got to see that this was more about a lifestyle, about helping people find their passion, it connected with me in a, in a pretty major way. And I saw how authentic and real the brand was. And, and that's something that's really special. So it was, it was a pretty easy decision at that point. For anyone who doesn't know, what does Chemical Guys do? Because I'll be honest, I don't wash my car. So I don't know. I saw you guys pop up and I'm like, this company looks awesome. Whoa, they have a big YouTube channel. Wow, they're everywhere, franchises. But yeah, some people might be like me, sadly, John. So yes, in your words, what do they do? So no, I mean, first off, I'll say that that is something we're still super excited about is there's a ton of awareness ahead of us, which is, is a great opportunity. But 
kind of at our core, um, you know, we talk about ourselves as being a lifestyle brand that today really lives in the automotive space. Um, at our core, we exist to help people find their passion and make it shine. And that really stemmed initially from making really great products that help clean, protect, and shine your vehicle, your ride. And what that's evolved into over time is expanding upon that with education, with uh, customer interaction, and really building a community. So that's why we, we don't look at ourselves as a brand of car care products. We see ourselves as a lifestyle brand because we really want to connect and invite people to be a part of chemical guys. Anybody can be a chemical guy. I mean, that, that's the reality. Whether or not you wash your car once a year or to every two weeks, um, we still want to have you as part of the family. What's a top performing product I should check out? So I, I, the, this is, again, it's part of the education, right? So I can't just tell you a great product. My question is, what car do you have? Tesla. You have a Tesla. What color is your Tesla? White. White. Okay. So in that case, as you look at your car, walk around it, even just from the exterior or interior, are there any things that just from an appearance standpoint, you wish could look a little bit better? Yeah, it has white seats. And so the white seats are always dirty. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so in this case, you're also using, uh, in this case, it's the, the vegan leather, right? Mm -hmm. um, on, on the Tesla. So that is where you would want to look at something like one of our hydro leather products or one of our, our leather cleaners protectants, um, getting in there with a, we have a great horsehair brush that's really delicate on the fabric. But in, inside that space, I would point you to a lot of our great leather cleaning and care products. Oh, see, I'm glad I asked. Now I learned one new thing to learn for my car or to use for my car that I never knew before. And yeah. Okay. So it's all about personalization then when it comes to what we actually need. Exactly. I hear that all the time, but that's good to know. So when looking at everything you all do, I know we were talking about this before around the word omnichannel and how, I mean, I hear this, you know, all the time when it comes to every guest I talk to, omnichannel is the big thing, but you had a point that you were like, we truly are omnichannel. And so I wanted to hear from you, you know, what does that mean? Why are you guys truly omnichannel? And, you know, what does it look like connecting with your customers the way you do? Absolutely. So omnichannel as, as it exists and as we all kind of know it is, is the idea of of blending the customer interaction between digital, physical, retail, customer care, everything else. I mean, the reality is the true goal of Omnichannel is to provide your customer a unified experience wherever they interact with your brand. In our case, that happens to kind of manifest by, by the way that we take our brand to the marketplace. So not only from a distribution standpoint, but in aligning our approach. So first off, if you look at our distribution channels, we have three primary areas that we focus on. So we have our Amazon business, we have our wholesale business, which includes national accounts like Walmart or AutoZone. And then we have our direct-to-consumer business, which would be our own website plus our retail concept called Detail Garage. And what you'll find is the way that we have connected all of these things together is we've really tried to create distinct purposes for each of the channels and think about what is the customer interaction like on Amazon? What are we trying to craft there? Same thing within a Walmart or in AutoZone. And then on the same thing on our website. So again, I think this is sometimes where you can, or retailers or brands or companies can run into trouble with omni-channels. They go, we need to be everywhere all at once. Great. But I mean, sure, why not? But the problem is if you take the same experience or the same approach to each one of the channels you're going after, then that's where you start to run into channel conflict. Why would I shop here versus there? Or if I'm not thinking about the customer that shops at a Walmart versus an Amazon versus a detail garage, then I'm not really providing that great omni-channel service. And so that, that's a big part of it is we try to think about each of the channels we're in and where the customer is at in their journey and how we can best 
serve that channel in a unique way. So what are some of the, maybe the biggest differences when thinking about, you know, your channel strategy and you're looking at maybe Walmart versus Amazon or your direct to consumer versus Amazon? Are there any big aha moments you've had, especially over the past year when things have been changing so much and consumer preferences have probably been, you know, in different places, depending on the point of the year? Like, have you seen now a new strategy when it comes to talking to those customers that's really working? Yeah, I mean, so I think 2021 in general, we all know there was a pretty big shift on the e-commerce side. And if you look at 2022, we're seeing that normalization kind of come back. And I think the market in general, 2022 is the, is the big reset year, hopefully, where when we come to 2023, seasonality and kind of normal consumer trends get back to what they were pre-pandemic. So I think, you know, as we've looked at the channels and kind of what we've seen is it comes down to what the customer values. And I think this is, I think regardless of pandemic or any, any consumer changes, it's still, that's the question you have to understand and you have to really dig into is what is an Amazon customer looking for that might be different than a Walmart customer versus your own website customer? And inside of that, so like if, if I talk about Amazon or I think about Amazon, I'd be curious to your thoughts, like, what would you say is probably the number one factor that allowed that people would go to Amazon for? Or what's the strongest value proposition Amazon has that you, in your mind, no one can compete with? I mean, shipping. Correct. That's yeah. it. That's the answer. <laughs> so, you know, we have to think about it like rather than set our website up. And I think that's kind of the, the question there, right? So if a customer buys from our website, that's awesome. Like I'm super happy about that. But if they buy from Amazon, that's great. They're still part of the family. I think where some brands and, and Amazon's kind of been demonized and there have been discussions you know, that I've had with people who are like, well, how do you deal with Amazon? Because they're trying to be the lowest price. To, you know, how do you compete with Amazon in price? Well, first off, we're a map brand. And that's really important. So if you look at our pricing policy, as far as advertising goes, there is no single retailer that has the ability to undercut each other in our ecosystem. And not to say it doesn't happen from time to time by accident or mistake, but in general, we're really strict about map. And so again, coming back to the Amazon component, my general perception is not that Amazon wants to be the lowest price out there. They want to be the best price. And so they spend a lot of time scraping other websites. If your pricing strategy and enforcement is clean, then you're going to run into very little conflicts on Amazon. But if you have a lot of gray market or you have people that you aren't enforcing on wholesale websites or your national account websites that are undercutting because you don't have map, well, yeah, that's going to exist. So when we think about it, if I look at those two destinations, I think those are the great examples, right? As I can say, an e-commerce customer is either an Amazon customer or they're going to shop for my website. I need to understand what's important to them. You brought it up. For most people, Amazon is the convenience of shipping. I can get it prime next day or even sometimes the same day. My website, I can't do that. And I'm not going to try to. So what I'm going to do on, the, on our website, on the Chemical Guys website, is something that Amazon can't which is I'm going to create the personal chemical guys connection and design our website to be the voice of our brand. And if that person comes to our website, falls in love with the brand and goes to Amazon because Amazon can get them shipping faster, that's still a win in my book. So how are you enforcing the pricing policy? Are you constantly scraping to make sure everyone is you know, listing the accurate prices or how do you keep track of all that? From a, from a tool standpoint, we have a great tool called PriceBiter. And there, you know, PriceBiter for us has been awesome. There's a number of other scraping tools out there, but we actively monitor it. You can set in some, some great automated reporting. And yes, we are spending a lot of time looking at where, how our price is positioned within the digital space, but it also comes down to how it's positioned at retail as well. So for any partner we work with, 
Uh, part of our vendor agreement is the map policy that everybody agrees to. And thankfully, uh, just based on the strength of our brand, we haven't had you know too many issues. But I will tell you that if we were dealing with a partner that said, "Hey, look, I don't really care about your map policy. Um, I don't, yeah, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do what's best for my business. I'm going to mark down your product." I would give them two options. One would be either you can send me that product back and I will take it, or I don't know that we're the right partners to do business together. Because again, for us, the brand equity is extremely important. So I want to hear a bit about the franchise model that you all have going on, because that is super fascinating to me. And also I was thinking about how many other companies could be taking advantage of something like this, having lots of amazing products, and then also having a place that you can go and learn how to use them, have your car cleaned or whatever it might be done to be able to use the products at the same time while educating. So I want to hear about that vision and how it's going. Yeah, absolutely. So the model that you're talking about is Detail Garage. Um, And Detail Garage for us kind of came together from personal passion, to be honest. We had an employee coming up on probably seven years ago, maybe eight years ago. We had an employee named Gil who approached us. He was working for Chemical Guys. And we had opened a company or a factory store at our headquarters that was called Detail Garage. And he saw how well that was doing. And he was kind of looking for a change in his life. And it was basically, he, he said, well, hey, would you mind if I opened one of these myself? And so that became our first franchise with Gil. Um, today, he now has four of them. Wow. Go Gil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's done phenomenal. And, and uh, if you look at it, what Detail Garage ended up becoming, you know, I'm, I'm wearing, this is kind of our, this is actually the shirt we wear in Detail Garage. But the way that we look at it is if Chemical Guys is the brand and the product, we see Detail Garage as the experience because we, we put out great social media content yes. and we put out great YouTube videos and I can send out as many emails as I want. But the personal connection is where the experience really comes to life. And so what Detail Garage has come to be is that, that in-person manifestation of the Chemical Guys brand. So you can come to our store, you can take a look at all of the great range of Chemical Guys products. But more than that, what we specialize in is offering classes and events. So every month our stores offer classes, a basics of detailing, a intro or a basics of polishing. We're starting to work on expanding the class offering. And every month each store ho- hosts its own rides and coffee. So when we think about what Detail Garage is meant to do, it's meant to be, it's meant to kind of embody fun, empowerment, and community. Come into a great environment where someone greets you with a smile. Welcome to Detail Garage. How'd you hear about us? And just like when you asked me earlier, like what products you recommend, the idea is when we ask, how did you hear about us? Because we want to get to know you a little bit. And then before we'll show you a product, the idea is we want to go out and look at your car with you so that we can truly understand what you're working with, provide suggestions, feedback, and actually tailor something specific. That's where the empowerment comes in. And then the community is those classes and events. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's too early to ask this, but what kind of metrics are you guys looking at when it comes to maybe like the lifetime value of those customers who actually come in, get the in-person experience, learn about the products, or maybe about, you know, average order value? I mean, I'm only imagining that this is a really nice, you know, strategy to be able to have lifelong customers who now know how to not only just use the one thing that they knew how to use that they saw on YouTube, now they have like, 10 new products that they were just taught how to use as well. Like, what does it look like behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, so Detail Garage to us, and again, this comes from a retail background. I mean, it, the the fundamental KPIs are the same as any other retail store, right? So we are looking at, to your point, when you're asking about, uh, we you know, we say instead of average basket size, we say bucket because we, mm-hmm. have, we sell buckets in our nice. store. You know, you walk around with a bucket. So we're looking at average bucket size. We're looking at units per transaction. 
We are, you know, looking at the stores have sales plans. I mean, it's, it's a legitimate retail environment. But as we think in the bigger picture, we do look at and we have, you know, kind of conducted studies from, from both panel data as well as our internal data to understand what a customer looks like from an LTV standpoint, from where they might be buying from a third party to our own website and to our stores. And the crazy thing is once someone comes to a detail garage and they get the true experience, you see that LTV, or I don't even call it lifetime value, just the, the person's passion and connection for the brand really spike. Mm-hmm. Some of our stores have average repurchase rates of 60 to 90 days, which is, again, insane for a retail environment, for, for yeah. a car care, for like for buying car soap. Wow, it's impressive. Like you're coming back every 60 <laughs> to 90 days, but, but we have that. And I think even more than that, like there's those metrics, but what we could also focus on is we're a little unique in the retail game where typically retailers will typically have one master retail social account. We allow every detail garage to have its own social following. Oh, smart, localized model. Love it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the thing I'll point to the most. When you see that Chemical Guys, as a brand, has a million followers on Instagram. Detail Garage, as a brand, has half a million Instagram followers. And then you come down to the detail garage level. We have 90 stores today. Most of the stores are sitting around 10,000 followers on Instagram. And that is where I think that's that's a really impressive connection that we're building as far as the ecosystem and the connection of the customer goes. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about, publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a good story of compounding right there and being able to distribute the success and all the help, too, with getting people to grow those accounts. So how do you keep the customers engaged when they come in? They probably had the best time ever. And now they're, you know, very educated about what to use and their car looks great. How do you keep them engaged over the next 90 days or 60 to 90 days to get them to come back? Like, are you surfacing more content or how do you think about that journey afterwards? Yeah, I mean, so for us, it never stops. I think that's the point, right? Um, Whether it is through our email communication, our text communication, our social media, we are a content engine. So if you look at our team here, we do all of our content in-house. So if you're looking at a YouTube video or you're looking at an Instagram post or Reels or, or even on TikTok, that content's all done 50 feet from where I'm sitting. Wow. We, we shoot for three videos a week to post on YouTube. And so that's kind of the point is there is what the store can do, right? So the store at the store level, because they have their own social media following, and connection with the customer. We obviously invite people to follow the store. We're looking and seeing what those customers are doing and and posting and tagging our store and engaging with them there. But then the store itself is posting a minimum of two times a day on both Facebook and Instagram. 
So we're constantly serving and surfacing content for the customers to interact with and, and try to stay as top of mind as possible. So how do you come up with the, like all the content ideas? How do you know what's <laughs> going to work? I mean, that's quite a bit. And you can tell, obviously, all of your channels are very impressive and, you know, very like the videos are definitely being engaged with. So how does your team come up with a content plan and know what the customers want, especially when you've released so many videos? It, does it ever get to a point when you're like, OK, we've covered all the products in our suite now. Now, now what? Yeah. So the first answer, it also goes to product development as well. Uh, which is which is really exciting. So, you know, they'll say, you know, we've had people that have asked similar questions. It's like, well, do you guys use focus groups? Do you do this? Do you do that? It's like, no, we have a million followers all making comments every day and tagging us. That is all the focus group we need. So we can post and see what people are asking for. And to your point of, you know, the catalog of products and the content, I mean, we have over a thousand different products in our assortment today. Okay, so you're good then. Yeah, if you, well, not just that, but then think about all the different types of makes and models of cars out there and the different types of interiors and the different types of wheels. How do you treat a ceramic wheel uh, versus an alloy wheel? Like there, there's so many different components to it that, you know, and customers are regularly asking and members of the, the, the family are always asking like, hey, I haven't seen a video for this. And you know what? It might have been a video we did five years ago, but we're happy to refresh it because the technology, the techniques have changed. So kind of, again, it's a really great place to be in because we have this great product lineup. And then we've got this great community that's constantly asking for more. Yeah. That Reddit's a good place too. I was just, you know, when I was doing my research, I kept stumbling on these Reddit threads and I'm like, ah, oh, there's so many people in here asking how to do this one thing with your tire or change out the color of the inside brake right, pad yeah. thing. I don't know. It was like very some intense people there who wanted some red brake pads. I don't know how I stumbled on that thread, but <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the cool thing is, is, you know, one of our approaches has been, if there was, is, or will be a social media platform, we have been on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it goes back to MySpace. It goes back to however many social media platforms are now defunct, but I can guarantee we had a presence on every single one of them. Oh, that's awesome. So what are maybe some, not even just YouTube, but social media secrets that you guys have uncovered? I mean, you've put out so much content. I'm sure you know these things work, you know, this kind of many seconds of a video works or this many minutes. I mean, what kind of secrets have you all uncovered? You've been doing it a long time. So I'm sure everyone's like, how do I get that many followers and subscribers? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think the, the, the easiest answer is, is the hardest one, which is it never stops. I think there are a lot of companies or there are people or individuals and it, it's, it's like a fad diet, right? Which is you get to, you get, you come to new year's and you're like, all right, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year. And you're good for about two weeks at the gym and you're done. And then because you move on to something else or some other priority has come up in your life. And as it relates to building a community, it's exactly the same challenge, which is, I think there will be times when your people are sitting in, in a meeting room or a conference room and they're like, wow, we need to, figure out how to create a viral video or we need to have, you know, like I remember being in those meetings before I worked here. How do we make this video go viral? And it's like, well, that's not really a question you should be asking. The question is, how do we build a real connection with people? And so the, again, I say it's the simplest, but it's the hardest. And that is you have to always be on. You have to always be responding to your customers, engaging your customers, coming up with new content. It is a discipline and it's a rigorous one. Uh, Don't get me wrong. It's fun and our team enjoys it. But it's not just something we do in sprints. We don't go, okay, we're going to hit social media really hard for the next two weeks. And then we'll kind of look and adjust and see. We're constantly looking. We're constantly adjusting. We're constantly replying, adding comments and content. If you're not willing to commit to that, then it's just, it's never going to happen. Yeah. 
Have you ever tried hiring an outsource outsource person to help with it, or has it always been in house content creation? Always in house. Mm-hmm. It's probably the way to go. We do use agencies um, on the paid side because that's a little bit different. And uh, and paid is, you know, on the on the paid side, there's there's a, it's constantly evolving. I think even faster sometimes than the organic side. Um, and organic's a little bit easier for us to to manage and control. But all origination uh, and management on the organic side is done in house. Okay, to make a little bit of a shift now, I want to hear some big bets that you all are making within the company. Like, is there any direction that you're maybe heading right now that isn't very obvious or new technologies you're betting on or trends? Yeah, I mean, we, we constantly are. So in, in our mind, we're always trying to figure out kind of where the next opportunity is. Um, and it, by nature of the business, like it, it's, a, it's a pretty entrepreneurial environment that way. So I think at a store level, um, right now we're experimenting with services. So we're trying to see what it looks like if we offered services in our stores. And I'm not talking about like a generic wash and wax, but some really premium services, paint correction, ceramic coatings that customers might be intimidated to do themselves. Um, what's really interesting is, is we found that a lot of our customers, even though they themselves are super passionate uh, about detailing, they still from time to time use a professional. So it's not to try and slow our store sales. It's more about, again, trying to continue on the journey with the customer. So that's, that's one that we're looking at. On the digital side, you know, if we look and we think about our e-commerce platform, we have been constantly evolving it. So in 2021, we launched subscription. We launched the ability to do virtual kits. In the coming month, actually really in the next 30 days, I'm really excited because we're launching our first ever rewards program. And so that, that's one where I think is going to be something that really builds, again, a reason or stickiness to stay on the website. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, I think we're starting to try to figure out in an iOS 14 world, with privacy, uh, as it relates to, again, the paid side of things, how do we continue? Or even, you know, now you're starting to hear the concept of zero party data becoming an important. So how do we, you know, how do we manage and get ahead of those things? That's really kind of where our thought process is. In general, at the end of the day, we're trying to figure out how to provide the services our customers want while looking at the the technological landscape and trying to stay ahead of that. Yeah. Do you have any early like ideas around, especially the privacy piece, what you guys plan on doing? Because to me, you're most well-positioned. I mean, you you have a deeper connection with your customers from what I see than maybe a lot of other companies I talk to. I mean, it seems like they really are a family. Yeah. And so it seems like you're close to already kind of having that. But is there any ideas you guys are throwing around to be able to have, you know, um, yeah, to be able to talk to your customers in the way that you need to going forward? Yeah. I mean, so again, from an organic standpoint, you know, that's where a lot of our, our traffic comes from um, as we think about. So that that's kind of helpful. I think on the on the paid side, as it relates to paid search, paid social, um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to recalibrate our expectations, I think, more than anything else. Got it. So if you look at paid social in particular right now, after iOS 14, ROAS might not be the best measure anymore to look at paid social. You know, if you, I think one of the biggest challenges that relates to Facebook is you used to be able to have four weeks or 28 days of visibility to customer behavior after an ad was served. That's been consolidated down to seven days or even less. And so what you have to think about is maybe social, we aren't looking at ROAS as much anymore. Maybe we're thinking about how we look at social between conquesting and, and prospecting and, and remarketing and getting to more traditional metrics like CPM. It's more of a mindset shift than, than anything else, I think, at this point. Got it. All right. 
Let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, John? By the way, proud Commerce Cloud customer. Oh, you are? Good. Yeah. Yay. Okay, well then this is a perfect round for you. <laughs> What's up next on your reading list? It's uh, a great question. Generally, it is the Wall Street Journal every morning. Okay. Well, what are the best insights you've gotten then from the past day or two? Fill me in. Yeah. I mean, typically, you know, I think the the biggest one that I've been paying attention to, I think, as we all have, has been Twitter. And mm-hmm. so just trying to understand yeah. understand what, what that means. I mean, we don't have a huge presence on Twitter. We are there. But I think that that is... Um, that's something that um, in trying to figure out if it moves to a paid model or a subscription model, what does that look like even from an advertising standpoint? So I think that's one that we'll be following pretty closely. Yeah. Yeah. That one's super interesting to watch. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And it can't be about chemical guy stuff. It has to be something <laughs> different because you guys already have a content engine. You don't need more. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, for me personally, it would be uh, either about carpentry and home improvement. Mm, cool. Uh, it's something I, I really enjoy doing. I enjoy, I also enjoy politics, not from, from um, an extreme side one way or the other, but, um, so, you know, just kind of just understanding actually what's going on and, uh, and kind of current events. So it'd probably either be one of those two things. I love it. What's something you don't understand today, but wish you did? I think NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good one. And in general, kind of where, where the metaverse is going. I think that's something that is going to be really important to keep an eye on. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that goes, oh, it's just a fad. Just like they yeah. said, oh, this, this, this email thing, it's, it's not going to like say. So, yeah. so I think, I think how, thing, how the world is shifting into the meta landscape, um, either you know, through tools like NFTs or anything else, is something that uh, I definitely need to spend more time getting to understand. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Same. Everyone, I'm sure. This one's kind of a hard one, so you can stop and think about this one if you want. What? Do you think is true, but it might actually just be good marketing? Uh, <laughs> My one stumper question. Yeah, no, it's a fair one. Um, I think marketing today, uh, especially on the consumer side, has told us that we're all capable of doing anything we want. And that's probably just good marketing. Like that. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a really fun chat. Where can people find out more about Chemical Guys? Well, for, again, we've talked a lot about social in this case. So follow us um, on Instagram at Chemical Guys and Detail Garage. And then also check out our website at chemicalguys.com and detailgarage.com. Great. Thank you, John. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.